David being here with us. And thank you, brother, for taking your time to come with us. Well, I uh, met many of you in the Sunday school hour. Just what a blessing it is to be here. Uh, Robbie, I didn't know you could sing. Yes, you can. Don't lie in church. And Dalton, you too. I tell you what, uh, when, I, when I get to heaven, I've asked God for two things. One is I want to be able to sing. Okay? And the other one is I want hair. All right? I'm not, I'm not getting a haircut for 10,000 years. Okay? So uh, you grew up pretty good on your face, but I, I want it on my, on my head. Honor to be with you guys. If you weren't in the first uh, class, I'm one of your new missionaries. We make disciple makers, plant churches among about, this year it'll be about 20% of the unreached people groups in the world. Think Asia and Africa. We train lay people. We train Timothys, we call them. Did you ever thought about it when Jesus trained the 12? Those weren't seminary grads. Those weren't religious leaders. They were regular, normal people. And that's who we train. We train regular, normal people. We don't train pastors. Everybody knows pastors aren't normal. Amen? No offense, Robbie. I'm one too. We train regular, normal people. And what we do is we train them to lead their friends and neighbors to the Lord and then to disciple them. To graduate, the Timothy has to plant a church. He doesn't read a book about planting churches. He doesn't write a paper about planting churches. He actually plants a church. And to graduate, that Timothy not only has to plant a church, but he's got to raise up two of his own Timothys that he trains. We call Timothy's Timothy, Titus. And I know Timothy didn't disciple Titus, but they both start with a T, so it's easy to remember. Okay? That's why we call him Titus. So to graduate, he's got to plant a church. He's got to raise up two more that does what he does. That's where the multiplication kicks in. So you're not making disciples. You're making disciples who make disciples. And then each church takes care of an orphan or a widow. This past year, tens of thousands of churches were started. Each of those churches ministers specifically to either an orphan or a widow. And so as we begin planting churches with you guys, not only are you going to be planting churches in places where there are none or very few, but you're also going to be taking care of orphans and widows while you're, while you're doing it. We removed from the church planting equation what I call the three S's which are salaries, sanctuaries, and seminaries. Those things are not bad. You just don't have to have them to lead someone to Christ and disciple them. Uh, now, I believe if you have a full-time pastor, I believe you ought to pay them well. The Bible says they're worthy of double honor, honorarium, if you will. But there are millions of places where there are no churches, and, and there's just not enough pastors that are people willing to give their full time. So we train lay people. And we get out of paying salaries because lay people have jobs. They're farmers or they're taxi drivers or they're business people or they're whatever. And so we train people that already have a job and so we don't have to pay salaries. We don't build buildings because where we work, they'll get burnt down or blown up 
anyway. And so we, you say, where do you meet? In a house, on a rooftop, in an alley, in a cave, out in the forest, in a dried-out riverbed, somebody's office. We just meet wherever we can find to meet. So we don't have to pay salaries and we don't have to build buildings. You're really lowering the cost now, okay? And then we don't send them to seminary. We're not anti-seminary. I've, uh, I've got four degrees. One of them is from a real school, okay? And so we're not, we're not anti-seminary by any means. But where we work, there's not a lot of seminaries. And we believe the local church should be the seminary anyway. We believe this is where people ought to be trained to do the work of the ministry. I mean, think about it. Why in the world do we send people 500 miles away to teach them how to do what we should be teaching them how to do anyway, right here? And so you get rid of salaries, seminaries, and sanctuaries. You've really lowered the cost of church planting dramatically. We got it down to where we can train a guy for two years. And during that two years, we developed a curriculum that's a through-the-Bible a 20, every chapter of the Bible literally is covered. It takes about two years of training. We train them in the local church on site, and we've got it down to where we can get a church planted for about 400 bucks over a two-year period. Now, I want to tell you something. $400, uh, you can't buy those screens right there, Harley, for $400. Okay, I don't know if you could buy this thing right here. Maybe, maybe. It is a little light, Dalton, but maybe you could buy it. Those chairs are probably going to be about 50, 60, 70, 80 bucks each. So think about it. For 400 bucks, you can train a Timothy, plant a church, raise up two more church planters or disciple makers, take care of a widow or an orphan in two solid years of thorough Bible training. It comes out to about a dollar and 10 cents a day. And so for every $400 this church raises, we're going to plant a church. If you raise 4,000, we're going to plant 10 churches. If you raise 40,000, we're going to plant 100 churches. But we uh, let me give you, show you some pictures to give you an idea of what we're talking about. Because you got to, Americans, Robbie's mentioned it a couple of times today, we, what we think of church is not necessarily what I'm talking about. You're looking at a picture here. The guy on the left is a businessman. I know him. He's, he's, he's what we call the Timothy. The guy on the right would be like Pastor Robbie. He's the Paul, the pastor. The Paul, the pastor, trained the Timothy to go out through where he lives, works, studies, shops, and plays and tell people about Jesus. And that line of people you see being baptized are people that that Timothy led to the Lord in one year's time and are being baptized following the Lord. By the way, he lives in a country in a district, or we'd call it a county, that is called a 0.1 district. What does that mean? It means less than 0.1% of the people living there claim to be Christians. Flip that number around. He lives in an area where there's 99.9% of the people there are not followers. Somebody in the United States wrote out a check for three, 400 bucks, and that line of being baptized is a result of it from one year. Standing in that line was the lady you're looking at. Her name is Kali. Go ahead and go back to the second slide there. Kali is the name of a Hindu deity. There's tens of millions of them. She was one of the people standing in that baptismal line. She was 83 years old. I want you to take a look at her. She wasn't rejecting Jesus. She didn't know who he was. Do you know why she didn't know who he was? Nobody had ever told her. As soon as that man, that Timothy, told her about Jesus, she, I'm so glad. 80, she didn't have a lot of time left on this earth. 
I'm so glad somebody told her. Let's move from Asia to Africa. Look at the next slide. This little lady's even older. Her name is Rhoda. She's 90 years old. She looks so sweet and helpless. Let me tell you something. That's the meanest old woman on the face of the earth. Uh, she's like a junkyard dog. She's just mean. as she, She's been an illegal bootlegger her entire life. And the Timothy came into her village and started a church. And Rhoda's granddaughter got saved. And so we teach our new believers, as soon as you come to Christ, go tell other people. Don't hide your light under a basket, Jesus said. Put it up and let everybody, let everybody see it. Why in the world would we not want people to know about Jesus Christ? Amen. And so, as, when, and by the way, when does a candle give off light? Does the candle say, oh, I can't give off light until I've been trained how to give off light for six months? Is that what the candle says? You light the candle, it gives off light. Have you been lit by the Holy Spirit? Our God is a consuming fire, the Bible says. The fire of God is inside of you. You've been lit. Let your light shine, ladies and gentlemen. So we teach them that very day, go tell somebody. So uh, the Timothy asked Rhoda's granddaughter, who do you know that really needs Jesus really bad? And the first person that came to granddaughter's mind was mean old Grandma Rhoda. And so she went to Grandma Rhoda, told her about Jesus. Rhoda got saved on the spot. She wasn't rejecting Jesus. She didn't know who he was. Do you know why she didn't know who he was? Y'all catching on? Nobody had ever told her. So Rhoda, 90 years old, prays, accepts Christ, and then she asks her granddaughter, what do I do next? Granddaughter said, I don't know. I've only been a Christian for three hours. I have no idea and Rhoda said, well, there's got to be something. And granddaughter said, well, I heard them say something about baptize. And Rhoda said, what's baptize? She said, I don't know. I'm new at this. But I think they take you out to the river and they dunk you in the water. Rhoda said, I want to get baptized right now. Granddaughter said, you can't get baptized right now. You got to wait till next Sunday. And Rhoda said, I don't want to wait till next Sunday. I want to do it right now. And if I was 90 years old, I wouldn't want to wait till next Sunday either. And so they call for the Timothy. Look at that next picture there. They call for the Timothy. He takes her out and he baptizes. That's the Timothy in the white shirt there. And he baptized Rhoda as a 90-year-old new believer. Can somebody say amen? amen? Now, everything I've told you is true. I'm not sure about this next statement. Somebody told me that water, before Rhoda got in there, it was crystal clear, okay? <laughs> Uh, she was one mean old woman, all right? She, had, she had, done, uh, had quite a pass. But anyway, that gives you an idea. When we talk about planting churches, we are not talking about here's the church, here's the steeple, open the door. That is not what we're talking about. Look at the next slide. This is what we call a tree church. Listen, even Florida Gators can figure out why we call it a tree church, okay? They're, they meet under a what? Under a tree. Very good. Now this is a case where the whole village gets saved. And I, I love this. It's just, it happens all the time. The guy in the red sweater is the Timothy. The guy that is right there is the Paul. Paul trained the Timothy to go into that village. He began telling people about Jesus Christ. It's hard to see in the picture, but there's a man sitting on the ground between the two trees with a cap on. And it turns out he's the chief or the mayor of the village. And when the Timothy found out the mayor was sitting on the ground, that's not protocol in that part of Africa. They have this, uh, chair, this chair of honor that they bring out. It's like an old beat-up white plastic Walmart chair. And 
and the chief sits in it. And so the Timothy said, sir, you should be seated in the seat of honor. You're the chief. And the chief said, yes, you're right. Usually I sit in the seat of honor. But today you have come and you have told our people about the king of all kings, Jesus Christ. And I have become his follower. And from this day on, when he is a topic of discussion, I will sit on the ground at his feet. I think he got it. Amen. I think he got it. That's what we're talking about when we talk about starting churches. Look at the next slide. This is one of the first churches we started in a Himalayan country years ago, about 12, 13 years ago. The reason I, I took this picture is, is when, when, this, when I took this picture, this church was already six years old. But in that six years, they had, six and a half years, they had started 29 other churches in just six and a half years. If you take a good close look at the picture, the guy on the left on the front is a Timothy, the, guy with the, the young kid with the guitar. There were eight Timothys in the room that day being trained to plant churches. Each of the Timothys had their two Tituses in the room that they had led to the Lord and were training. In that little group, having not only planted 29 churches in six and a half years, they were training 24 others to be disciple makers and church planters. That's what's happening in many parts of the world. The church is growing. We have got to see that in our own country or we're not going to be here that much longer, ladies and gentlemen. That's the multiplication that we're after. That's what we're talking about. Look at the next slide. Every church takes care of a widow or an orphan, like I said. I was in a West African voodoo village in Benin where voodoo originated. I was walking down the path and I came across a pile of dirt, looked like a huge anthill, and it looked like there was a broken whiskey bottle stuck out of the top of it. And the, the, my host that was with me, my guide said, Dr. David, don't step there. I said, why not? He said, that's their God that they worship in this village. I said, it's not a God, it's a pile of dirt with a broken whiskey bottle stuck out of the top. He said, well... That's their God that they worship, so walk around it. So I walked around, and I got a few more feet. I bumped into this little orphan fella, and it, it, the picture doesn't do it justice. He, he was standing there crying. I had grandsons at the time about his age, and when I saw him, my heart broke. I thought if that was my grandson, he wouldn't be crying very long. Somebody would pick him up and dry those tears. I want you to take a good look at that kid. The, again, the picture doesn't do it justice. I don't think the kid's ever had a bath in his life. He was just, just, just caked in dirt. You say, what does that kid eat? Whatever the dogs leave. The scraps, the few scraps people throw out, the dogs consume it. What they leave, he gets. You say, where does he sleep? Under a tree. Under an overhang. You say, who takes care of him? What if he gets sick? He just suffers. And ladies and gentlemen, there are millions of them just like him out there. Millions and millions and millions and millions and millions. And so every church you guys plant is going to be taking care of one of those little fellows. Or maybe an older widow. Look at the next slide. This is uh, something unique that we do. We've started mapping out where we work. Again, it's hard to see in the picture, but but uh, those are little villages, little jigsaw puzzle pieces are villages. The green villages mean we found churches and Christians in that village. There's a couple of yellow villages. It's hard to see on this, on, on this slide, but there's a couple of little yellow villages in there. The yellow village means we found Christians but no church. 
the red villages means we couldn't find a single Christian or a single church. We have fully mapped out one Asian country of over 30 million people. 84% of the villages came out red. These are three real pictures of three different districts of that one country. 30 million people, if you take all of Florida and all of Georgia combined, it comes out to about 35 million people, maybe a little less than that. So this is the equivalent of mapping pretty much all of Florida and all of Georgia, every single settlement. We're doing the same thing in eight or ten other countries around the world right now. And so we map out where we, where we, we find where the church is and where the church isn't. And what we want to do with you guys in our partnership is we want you guys to paint a bunch of these red and yellow villages green. That's what we're asking you to do. We're asking you through your prayers and through your giving to help plant churches where there are no churches or where there's very, very few churches. We have many challenges. There's pandemics and poverty and persecution, and I won't go into that. I shared some pictures and stories in the first service, but we've got some prayer cards, and Pastor Robbie, I want to brag on this church family here for a second. I speak somewhere every week of my life, I speak 48 Sundays out of the air. The other Sundays I'm overseas. I usually speak in churches during the week. And in the last 10 years, I've run out of prayer cards, I think, four times. I brought extra prayer cards to this church today because Malcolm really bragged on you people. He said, you're special. So I thought, then, then I'm going to bring some extra cards. I ran out of cards after Sunday school. This is only the fifth time in 10 years I've run out of cards. And I brought extra cards. That says a lot to me about this church. But one of your ladies was very industrious and made me some extra cards. So I got some extras. And I'm going to put them right down here. In fact, do it right now. If you'd be willing to be on our prayer team, come fill out one of those cards and just put it in that green box there. We'll send you emails about once a month. We just ask that you pray. Never post anything I send you on, on social media. Never post it on social media. Pray and delete. Pray and delete. You'll get people in trouble if you put it on social media. So if you didn't get a chance to fill out a card, please come fill out one after the service. Put it in there. We could use your prayers. I want to talk to you this morning on the subject of urgency. Urgency. It is my prayer that somebody leaves here today, and I want to be very careful. I don't want to be mean-spirited, but I hope somebody leaves here today troubled. I hope somebody leaves here today and they can't sleep tonight. Robbie, I hope they'll go to the church app and not call you about what time is this or what time is that. But I hope, I hope you get some calls tomorrow from people that are just broken-hearted. People who will say, I got to do something. I got to do something. The curse of the American church is we are complacent. We are apathetic. We are at ease in Zion. That is our problem. I'm hoping somebody will wake up today and, and, and say, I've not only got to do something, I've got to do something now with a sense of urgency. I want to begin with a passage of Scripture so familiar you can all quote it. John 3, 16 and 17. Your little children can quote this verse. For God so loved the... Yeah, who did God so love? He so loved the... How much did He so love the world? 
that he gave his only begotten son, that's Jesus, that whosoever, whosoever in the world believeth in him, puts their trust in him, their faith in him, should not perish. That means dying and going to a place called hell, but have everlasting life. And everlasting life, by the way, we think of a duration of time, but it's more than, it's more than eternal. It's talking about abundant life. Later on in John, John talked about uh, abundant life. That is life with meaning, life with purpose. You can get up and talk to God and God talks to you and you walk with him and talk to him and, and he's with you all day and you're, you have a purpose. You're living your life to bring glory to him and, that's, and, and the icing on the cake is when you die, you wake up on the other side in heaven and forever and ever and ever and ever you're in your father's house. Somebody say amen. That's what he's talking about there. For God goes on, verse 17, for. For is a connecting word, same context. Now watch, I've always felt sorry for John 3, 17. Everybody loves John 3, 16. Imagine if, if uh, think two brothers. Imagine if, you're, if you were John 3, 17, your big brother was John 3, 16. Everybody quotes John 3, 16. Nobody quotes John 3, 17. But it's the same context, same Jesus. These are same red letter Jesus words. These same words came out of the mouth of Jesus at the same time, speaking to the same Nicodemus, same setting, same everything. Jesus said, John 3, 16, then he said, for, he's continuing here, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved anybody pick up pick up on a word repeated several times in those two verses what is the word it's the word world our God sacrificed his son for the sins of the world that Isaac song you just sang, and by the way, Dalton, I've never heard that song in my life. I think I need to get out more, okay? If somebody here could get me the music or the name or something, uh, that, what a message, what a song. God sacrificed his son for the sins of the world. I got a question for you. How much longer will it be before we tell the world, the whole world, about that sacrifice. You know about it. You've heard about it from the cradle. I'm telling you, by the billions, there are people out there who have never heard that story a single time in their lives. And may I remind you that the very last thing Jesus said before he ascended into heaven, Acts 1a, the very last thing he said, literally as he's ascending into the clouds, the last words out of his mouth were ends of the earth, ends of the earth. You'll be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, the uttermost parts of the earth. Those are the very last words out of his mouth. It's been 2,000 years, and some 41% of the world still has no idea who he is. With all of that having been said, I want to leave you with two truths this morning. Truth number one, the world is big. You may not be aware of this. A couple of weeks ago, we passed eight billion people globally population wise 
There are now over 8 billion people on the face of the earth. One night I couldn't sleep out. I sleep in a different hotel room every night. And I started Googling. I was looking, thinking about the cities. And I started Googling cities. And there's many different ways you can define a city, okay, believe it or not. But depending upon your definition, the United States only has two of the 50 largest cities in the entire world. And none in the top 10. I just mentioned to you that Georgia and Florida, the two states combined, have about 25 million. Georgia, about 12 million. Florida, about 23 million, 25 million. We work in cities in Asia where the city, the metro, has more than 25 million people. Take everybody from the Chattanooga outskirts, North Georgia, all the way down through the Florida Keys, put them all together. There are cities we work in with more people than that. The world is big. Truth number two, the world is lost. 70% of the world will tell you they are not a follower of Jesus Christ. That's over 5 billion people. Most of those, or at least many of those who say they are a follower of Jesus Christ, have a head knowledge, not a heart knowledge. But put those aside for a second. Let's just say they're safe, that 30%. 70% will tell you they are not a follower of Jesus Christ. And many of them have yet to ever even hear his name. In the places I work, I'll, I'll, I'll go outside out of the airport when I clear immigration and I'll look for an Uber or a taxi. I get in the car and I'm driving to the, to the hotel and if they speak English, they'll look over their shoulder and they'll ask, uh, where are you from? I'll say, I'm from the States. They'll ask, what do you do? I'll say, I'm a pastor. Many times they will ask, what's a pastor? And I'll say, a pastor is a guy that works at a church. They will then ask me, what's a church? I'll say a church is a place where the pastor takes a book called the Bible and teaches people from it. He'll then ask, can you guess the third question? What's a Bible? And I'll say the Bible is a book where they recorded the words that came out of the mouth of the almighty creator of the heavens and the earth, the one that created your beautiful country. And in that message that's written down, he tells us how he sacrificed his son for us so that we could have all of our shame and guilt and bad stuff removed and our lives put back together and how we can have peace and joy and comfort in this world and one day go to live with him in his house. And invariably their eyes will get real big and they'll say, do you have one of those Bibles can I see it with my own eyes? I know this is difficult to understand because you drove by 10 churches on your way to church this morning. But many places in the world, they have never driven by a single church. They've never driven for that matter. They don't have a car. But if they had a car, they've never driven by a church because there is no church there. So many places, no gospel outreach. You're looking at the red area there. That's basically where we work. The red area is where your unreached people groups are. You guys who are in the, first, in the Sunday school hour. That's where your, your, your Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist parts of the world live. And there's billions of them. Look at the next slide. I'm going to show this one just for you Georgia people. Since I'm a Georgia guy. Uh, I grew up in Atlanta. 
Atlanta's the headquarters, Coca-Cola. I love Coca-Cola. I, listen, I love all things Coca-Cola. Amen. Uh, way I was taught uh, growing up, uh, to me, Pepsi was a four-letter word, okay? Uh, I love Coca-Cola. And, and, but there's something about Coke that bothers me. I have never been anywhere. I mean, I've been in places where you can't GPS it. I mean, you just, there's, there's no road there. There's no nothing. You've got to go through jungles and mountains and to get there. There's no road. It takes you forever to get there, but when you, there's no power, there's no electricity. But when you get there, you'll see two old men sitting under a tree drinking a hot Coca-Cola. Okay? I've never been anywhere where there's not Coca-Cola. These stats are correct. 97% of the world has access to Coca-Cola. Only 3% does not. 33% of the world has, has no access to Jesus Christ. You know how, I'm, how I know for sure that we can get the gospel to the whole world? I know we can do it because Coca-Cola has already done it. And if Coke can get their product to the ends of the earth for the love of the bottom line, for the love of money, I've got to believe that the church of Jesus Christ can get the gospel to the ends of the earth for the love of Almighty God and for the love of lost souls. Amen? I believe that. Thousands of villages across the world, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, have yet to receive the gospel. I'm talking about places in the Congo, in Indonesia, in Nepal, in Pakistan, in Senegal, in Sri Lanka, in Sudan, in Thailand, in Vietnam. Just in India alone, there are over 300,000 villages that have yet to have their first church. By the way, there's somewhere a little over 300,000 churches in the United States. Every time you've driven by a church building in your life, there's a corresponding village in India that's never had a gospel, that's never had a church, much less heard the gospel. What about North Africa, the Middle East, East Africa, Central Asia, all your stand countries? What about Southeast Asia, the billions of people that live there? China and the Far East and the islands, all the islands and all the oceans. What about Europe? Europe is just dead spiritually. It is, it is past post-Christian. I read somewhere there's now more registered witches in France than there are evangelical pastors. The United States, we're not far behind. We're in, we're in a severe decline. Those of you who are younger adults, under, say, 35 or less, and I thank God, I know you're not this way, but a study was done recently among Bible-believing evangelical believers uh, 35 or less, and almost 50%, I think it was 48, 49% believed, state that they believe it's wrong to try to convert someone from another faith. Not only are they not trying to convert people, they think it's wrong. Think about that. I'm not talking about some lib liberal, I'm talking about Bible-believing people, that it's wrong the study went on to say they believe, the majority of them believe that all faiths have equal value. So you can take a Hindu snake god. I've been to snake temples. You can take a Hindu snake god and that, that snake god has as much value for your soul as the son of almighty God, Jesus Christ. That's what they're saying. We got a problem, ladies and gentlemen. Most Christ followers today have no idea what the great commission is. 
And those who do, the majority believe it's not their responsibility to make disciples. They would say it's the church's responsibility or some missionary's responsibility. But ladies and gentlemen, I would ask you, who is Calvary, who is Calvary Baptist Church? May I remind you, this stage is not the church. That wall is not the church. Those screens are not the church. You're the church, amen? The church is not a building. The church is a body. If this building burns down tonight, you guys, Calvary won't cease to exist. You may worship in the ashes, but you will still exist. The Great Commission is your personal responsibility. If you hear nothing else I say today, hear this. It is your personal responsibility. When Jesus said, go make disciples of every nation, you can read it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. It's in there five times. No matter where you read it, you'll, you'll notice something. You'll not find the word please. It is not a request. Have you noticed how many times your pastor has tried to teach you how to evangelize and teach you to share God's story and share your story and he wants you? You say, why does he keep doing that? Because he understands what the Bible says. He understands the Great Commission is our responsibility. When Jesus saved you, he saved you for a reason. He wants you to reproduce. He wants you to multiply. Listen, the first page of the Bible teaches you everything reproduces after its own kind. The fact that you have become a follower of Christ, He wants to use you to birth others into the, into the kingdom. So, what can we do about all of this? How can your family, your family, this church, get the gospel to a big lost world? Well, obviously we must tell them. But we must do so with a sense of urgency. Please hear this. In the next 24 hours, 155,000 people worldwide are going to die and wake up in hell. 155,000. That's like uh, someone told me last night, Greater Valdosta area has about 100,000 people. That's one and a half Greater Valdosta areas every single day. You know what really bothers me? What really bothers me is that what I just said doesn't bother me more than it does. It ought to crush us. When's the last time you were driving through the streets of your city and you just had to pull the car over because you couldn't see through the tears because you were weeping so hard over the lostness of your area? Jesus looked at Jerusalem and it says he what? He wept. He wept. 1.8 people every second. One point eight people every second perish. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. Yet one point eight every second. And about sixty percent of them have no idea who Jesus is. It's over a million every week. By the time you gather back here next Sunday, hell will, will have enlarged itself by over one million more people. We must do what we're going to do. We must do it with a sense of urgency. 
We don't have, we, we, we've wasted 2,000 years. We must move forward with a sense of urgency. You say, David, specifically, what can we give? Number one, or what can we do? Number one, we can give. We can give. Everyone in this room, the, my mom and dad taught me to tithe when I was an eight-year-old kid. Every one of us in this room can give. But Pastor Robbie, I would suggest that we be strategic in our giving. The unreached world has 41% of the world's population, very few of any Christians, but they only get 1% of every missionary dollar. By the way, the average church member gives about 2.5% of their money to the Lord. Of that 2.5%, less than 3% of that goes to missions outside of the country. Of that less than 3% of the 2.5%, only 1% of that goes to the 41% of the world that's unreached. You say, David, why are there so many unreached billions out there? I just told you why. We're giving 1% of less than 3% of 2.5% of the money we make to the Lord goes to the unreached world. And that's why, that's why there's so little gospel uh, presence there. You say, David, how much should I give? Listen very closely. Ask your father. Don't ask me. I'll ask you how much you got. Ask your father. Get on your knees and go to your father and say, Father, you have blessed me with what you've blessed me with. Every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from above from you. Father, I know you want me to help spread the gospel around the whole world. What do you want my part to be? What should my part be? I was so blessed. I was in a church in Lebanon, Tennessee last week, and a businessman was sitting there, and I made this statement. I said, just ask your father what he would have you to do. And whatever he tells you, that's what you do. He came up to me after church, and he said, when you made that statement, I said to the Lord, I said, I think I want to give $1,000 to plant churches. I'll plant two and a half churches. He said, but then I did what you told me to do. I said, no, I'm going to ask my father. Father, what do you want me to give? And the amount that the father told him was considerably larger. But he brought me the check and he said, I am so, he said, I know this is what I'm supposed to do because I asked my father. And this is what my father told me to do. Would you just ask your father what he wants you to do? And I will say this. I told your pastor this this morning. You guys could easily plant 100 churches over the next couple of years if you'll just ask your father. What can we do? We can give. What can we do? We can make disciples right here. You see, the Great Commission is ends of the earth, but it's also here. Before Jesus said ends of the earth, he said Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. This is your primary mission field here. You're not exempt from the ends of the earth. There's no or in the great commission. It's not here or there. It's here and there. Okay? So you are responsible for ends of the earth. But before Jesus said ends of the earth, he said, Jerusalem, this is, your, this is where you are, this Valdosta area. And so this is where you've got to focus. Across, you, yes, let's make disciples around the world, but let's start by making them across the street. From the neighborhoods to the nations, if you will. The lost, the unchurched are everywhere. The Billy Graham Association claims that 95% of church members will go to their grave without ever leading anyone to Jesus Christ. Now, you guys are exceptional. You proved that to me this morning with those prayer cards. I, I, I believe every... Listen, do you know who you people are? 
Paul called you ambassadors. You, you are not embassy workers. You are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. You are ambassadors. Do you know what an ambassador does? The ambassador is sent into a foreign country to deliver the message from the king. You are living in a foreign country. You say, no, no, David, I was born and raised right here. No, no, no. This world is not your home. You're just what? Passing through. You are aliens here. Your citizenship, Paul said, is in heaven. And the king of glory saved you and has made you his ambassador. Your privilege is to tell people in this area the message of your king, the message of the cross and the resurrection. Somebody say amen. amen. When's the last time you tried to share Christ with somebody? I would encourage you, those of you who are really, really, really interested, be back tonight. We're going to try to help you a little bit in that area. What can we do? We can give. What can we do? We can go. And finally, we can pray. Sunday school class, we must what? We must pray. I want to close by showing you a few pictures. It's one of our brothers in Southeast Asia. One of our Timothys. The government came out and confiscated his pig. He was going to feed his family off the money from that pig for a whole year they took his pig because he wouldn't quit talking about Jesus they said if we got to come out again we're going to take your house that's a real picture I didn't go online on the internet and find this picture that's our brother that's our sister that's our little baby that's our house behind it you say David what can we do for our brother and sister oh we can pray will you pray we can pray look at the next slide another mountain over along the Chinese border same general part of the country. He's got a skin disease. Can you see the marks on his stomach there? You say, uh, what's wrong with him? Well, he's sick. Very poor, very poor family. You say, David, why doesn't he go to the doctor? Have you ever been to the mountains along the Chinese border? There's no doctors. There's no hospitals, no clinic. There is a clinic. It's closed. If it's open one day a week, the shelves are empty. There's no medicine on it. You say, what do they do when they get sick? They suffer. They die. You say, David, can we help the guy? Yeah. We can pray for him. We can pray. We must pray. Will you pray? Look at the next slide. This is a Muslim country. Brother was at church one morning. He walked out of church. A suicide car drove up. Blew up the church. 32 Christians were killed. He was declared dead on arrival at the hospital. He's the uncle of one of our leaders. Or the nephew called me weeping on the phone. Dr. Dr. David, Dr. David, they killed my uncle. They killed my uncle. They kept calling his family, calling his home, talking to his wife. They knew, they knew the names of their children, where they go to school, the way they walk to school. We're going to get your kids next. Weeping. What do I do? What do I do? You say, David, what can we do for these people? We can pray. Will you pray? Will you pray? This is something you can do. Everyone in this church, everyone can have a part. Every one of you can have a part. You can change the world from your knees. Every one of you. Look at the next slide. This is a young lady in the Himalayas along the Tibetan border. There was an earthquake. She went running into the house to grab her little child there, as any mother would do. And as she's running out of the house, the roof collapses on her, and she tried to sh shelter her child 
it, it crushed her and she was able to somehow crawl out of the rubbish and she lay on the ground for several days. The roads were all destroyed. By the time somebody found her and got her to a hospital, both legs were so infected, so toxic that they had to amputate both of her legs. That's why she's kind of covered up there the way she is. Now I want you young ladies, there's a lot of young adults in this room. I want you young ladies in your 20s to take a good look at this gal. Put yourself in her shoes. If you're 25 years old, and you're a single mother, and you live in the Himalayas, and you no longer have any legs, and there's no such thing as being built to code. There's no, there's no wheelchairs or wheelchair lifts or anything. You're 25 years old in the, the, most, the highest, most rugged mountains in the world, and you have no legs. The little baby ended up with a broken left leg. That was it. What do you do? Somebody's got to pray for her. Will you pray? Will you pray? I want to close by showing you a video. If you can mute it, please. Just show the video. If you um, go with me, it'll come up in a second here. Robbie, if I ever get you to this particular country, we'll go to this temple. These are bodies being cremated. We'll sit on those steps on the other side of the Holy River. If you look real carefully, you can see the feet stuck out of the far right side. These are real bodies. This temple's over a thousand years old. These platforms go all up and down this area. Bodies are cremated on it all day long, seven days a week, every month, every year, every decade, century after century after century, tens of thousands of bodies. Little boys will get down in the water and fish out the jewelry. Sometimes they cremate them with jewelry on. This is just one of tens of thousands of temples just like it. And this has been going on year after year, decade after decade, century after century for over a thousand years. And I sit on the other side over there and I watch the loved ones. They, they start the fire in the mouth and I watch as they weep and they wail. They sorrow as those who have no hope. They have no hope. They know they're never going to see their loved ones again. They know that. They know it's over. And I watch as they weep. I watch as the flames consume the bodies. I watch as they push what's left into that so-called holy river. And I sit on those steps. And I always have the same thought. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world through him might be saved. And then I think this thought, somebody ought to tell them because they do not know. They do not know. Pastor Robbie, it is a deep honor to be able to address this great church. I thank you for letting me be here. God bless you. I'll turn the service over to you, sir. We, uh, we come to church and 
I think all of us, you say, well, why in the world would we show a video or something like that? Why in the world would we do all this? Because I think the reality is, is that you and I live in a, in, in a perception of what the world is and it's not. I went to a conference with this man down in uh, Florida. They paid for everything, by the way. Put us in a very nice hotel, took care of, fed us. I mean, just, it was amazing. But I literally seen and heard people from those countries get up and give testimonies. Remember one of the most powerful testimonies was a man, his dad was a, his uncle was a witch doctor. His dad was an assistant. His dad got saved and his dad started making disciples and that entire village is saved. We come to church, a lot of you weren't even saved in this church. You've got saved somewhere else and you filtered into this church. And we praise the Lord that you're here. But are we really making disciples? Are we just collecting people from other churches? What are we really doing? What are we, what are we here for? For God so loved the world, the greatest love that was ever spoken of. He gave his only begotten son, the greatest gift that was ever given. Now, whosoever, the greatest invitation to anybody, believeth in him. So simple. Should not perish. The greatest escape, but have everlasting life. The greatest promise. And everybody in this building can quote it. But how many times have you shared it? We're going to do something. We're going we, to partner with them. Y'all can fire me and I'll go next door and start another church. And I, I guarantee I'll get half of y'all to come with me. <laughs> this is this, this. It's what I believe in. God, everybody in the world wants to be a missionary to Mexico, Cancun, everywhere else. Put me on a beach and let me have a good time. These people. Word gets out about them, they lose their head. But they're making a difference in the world. And I want our church to be a part of it. I want you to be a part of it. Theme in Sunday school, theme this morning. We must. So let's do it. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Find your way around the altar this morning. Let's pray. Let's pray for this world. Let's pray and ask God, how can we, what can we do? What can I do? There's something you can do, so ask him. Just pray. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I love you. And God, I am so thankful for Brother David. Thankful for this ministry. God, how... 
Lord, you've used it to, Lord, uh, to revive me. Lord, I pray that you'd help us as believers sitting in this building. God, to not only see the need, but God, feel the need. The time of just knowing that there's something out there that needs to be done is over with. Lord, we, we've got to step up. We've got to do our part. Knowing, Lord, that your heart, your prayer for us was that we'd send laborers. God, I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that you'd use this church to plant churches, to disciple people. God, not only globally, but locally. God, I pray you'd help us to get a heart for missions again. May it not just be about us and be about our comfort and be about going home, just checking off a box of religion. God, realize that we are a candle. Lord, we have been lit. We're not to be hid. Lord, we have means that the rest of this world doesn't have financially, Lord, where we can support, we can help. And for most of us, Lord, we ain't even got to give up our comforts to do that. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Lord, that you would get a hold of some hearts in this building this morning. Lord, let them see a world that's perishing. Lord, let them realize that they have the answer. We have hope. Reminded that if we only have hope in this life, we are miserable. So God, let us take the hope that we know in eternal life, Lord, and share it with others. Heads bowed with me just for a moment. I want to give an invitation Maybe you come here this morning and this is a different church service than what we're used to. And maybe you come here this morning. God's been working on your heart longer than just a few hours this morning. You be honest with this preacher this morning and say, Brother Robbie, if I was to die right here sitting in this chair, I do not know where I'd spend eternity. I'm, I'm afraid, Brother Robbie, I'd be one of those that perished. That's you this morning. I want you to lift your hand up where I can see it. Whether you're in the balcony or on the floor, not going to embarrass you. Just want to know how to end the service. Is there anybody like that anywhere across the building? Anywhere. All right. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, once again, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. Thank you for Brother David. Thank you for his ministry, Lord. I pray that you continue to bless him, give him favor wherever he goes. Lord, I pray that you use him tonight, Lord, as he expounds to us, as he talks to us about ways that we can do this right here locally. God, we'll be sure to give you all the honor and the glory, Lord, for what you're going to do, what you have done. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.